0: Everyone, welcome to episode fifty-two of Purposely Podcast with Eat My Lunch founder Lisa King. Shockingly, one in five children in New Zealand lives in relative poverty. Eat My Lunch does something about this, providing food to children so they go to school and concentrate and thrive.
1: You know, how can kids be going to school all day and not eating? And I just really wanted to do something about it. Um, And one night, you know, I was talking about it and I happened to be wearing a pair of Tom's shoes. And I just thought, this is such a great, simple model. Why don't we just do it for lunches? Purposely podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom.
0: Lisa, a really warm welcome to Purposely.
1: Thanks, Mark.
0: You're the co-founder of Eat My Lunch. I thought we'd start by just reflecting on what is their mission.
1: Yeah, so Eat My Lunch's mission is to ensure that no child goes to school hungry um, and starting here in our own backyard in New Zealand. Eat My Lunch is a business. It's a for-profit um business with a big social purpose and yeah I started it June 2015 so pretty much six years ago um to the month in my from my home kitchen um with chef Michael Meredith.
0: Are you inspired by Tom shoes? Buy one give one.
1: i would seen this news piece about the fact that there are um you know so many kids in New Zealand going to school without lunches And, you know, we have quite a large child poverty issue, which I hadn't realized existed um, before seeing this news piece about six years ago. And, And it was just one of those things, you know, particularly, I think, as a parent, you're just going, how can this happen? You know, how can kids be going to school all day and not eating? And I just really wanted to do something about it. Um, And one night, you know, I was talking about it and I happened to be wearing a pair of Tom's shoes. And I just thought, this is such a great, simple model. Why don't we just do it for lunches? And that's really how the idea and eat my lunch kind of came to life. Um, And that same night I came up with the name, eat my lunch and registered the company the next day.
0: Quite damning statistics in New Zealand, haven't we? So you know, almost 30% of Kiwi kids living in poverty, a lot of them going to school hungry without food. When you started to unpack the social problems, we, you were shocked, were you? What, what sort of research did you do to get behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, I, you know, you didn't have to do a lot of research to understand, you know, the impact of not eating. Um, as you say, you know, as adults, we all get, yeah, we know what it's like to get ha- um, hungry. And so you can just imagine what's like for children. But what we um, uncovered was, you know, it actually had a wider impact on actually kids just even coming to school. So a lot of parents weren't sending their kids to school because they were too embarrassed to send them without food. So their, you know schools were recording quite a high number of absentees because kids didn't have food to bring. Um, you know there's obviously the impact on just concentration but also behavior in class you know teachers would say you can tell when a kid's eating because um, what they're like in the morning is completely different to what they're like um, once they've actually had lunch um just and you know your general health and well-being for a lot of the kids that we feed you know eat my lunch can be their only meal that they're getting during the day so um it was really important, you know, that we didn't just give them filling food, that it was actually really nutritious and healthy as well. And that's why, you know, our lunches are made fresh every day um, for the kids. They're kind of like lunches, you know, you and I would make for our own kids for school.
0: And 1.6 million lunches since formation?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, so through the buy one, give one model where corporates and customers buy a lunch that funds a free lunch for a kid, yeah, we've given over 1.68, I think, million lunches now. Um, and that's just in Auckland and Wellington. And then, of course, earlier this year, um, yeah, we became a supplier for the government's um, healthy school lunch program. And through that, we've delivered another 1.3 million lunches. So, yeah, all in all, um, a lot of lunches yeah. <laughs> over the last six years.
0: And I read that you had a waiting list, which is um, in some ways depressing, isn't it? But is, there is a waiting list for, for your service?
1: Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, we've always had a waiting list. So the way that works with the schools is that, you know, they sign up to our waiting list if there's a need. Um, but we commit when we bring on a school, we commit to them every school day so that they know, you know, they're always going to get a lunch. It isn't an ad hoc thing um, because food security is really important for the kids as well. You know, we were hearing that they were getting stressed out, the kids, because sometimes they just wouldn't know if they were going to get fed or not. Um, And so, you know, at the start of the program, a lot of the kids weren't eating the lunches at school. They were taking them home um, because they were worried about not having food later on or for the next day. So, you know, having that food security is really important um, as well. And, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, we've got probably about 90 schools on our waiting list. Um, And that probably, you know, I think since last year and with the impact of COVID, we're seeing more and more schools reaching out um, or even with our current schools saying they need more lunches because there are more kids coming to school without.
0: And is there a moment, a real mission moment that you've kind of all the efforts been worthwhile? Is there a story that stands out that you could share with us?
1: Uh, look, the I impact think, of your work? Yeah. I mean, and that's the amazing thing is that we get to see that every day because the impact is so immediate and it's local. You know, we're not sending food off to another country and not sure what's happening with that. We make the lunches and we deliver them to the schools ourselves. Um, those first kind of six, seven months, Michael and I would, that was our job, was to actually drop off all the lunches to the schools. And you know, we'd sit with the kids and watch them and eat and talk to them about what they liked and didn't like. And you know, that's the stuff that makes it all worthwhile. Um, and you know, we get letters from the schools and the kids all the time about what they like about the lunches and you know um, like one letter that I share often is a kid wrote to us saying you know thank you so much for the lunches it's so much better than going around asking for food from your friends Um, and you know you can it really hits home to you the impact of this really simple lunch Um, and that's something you know we're very lucky because we get to see that pretty much every day.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And so 2015, Kitchen Table, that moment, the next day you set up this entity. Just explain a bit more about why you chose business over charity. It'd be great to understand that. And then kind of a little bit about that, that early journey, like those startup time.
1: Yeah. So it kind of made sense, you know, when, you know, I was like, I really want to do something about this problem of kids going to school hungry. and it made sense for us to set up a charity because that's what you would do right um, when you're trying to achieve a social outcome but I'd spent 15 years working in corporate and I'd also spent quite a bit of time you know volunteering at charities and I just didn't want to spend all my time trying to raise money you know write grants try and get funding and um, it kind of just actually made sense to me that there would be a business model behind it, that it would be self funding, that we weren't going to be reliant on donations and funding from external parties. And um, the more and more, you know, we, we have this debate all the time, and particularly those early days like, should it be a charity, shouldn't it be? Because um, there wasn't any legal structure to support something in the middle. And, you know, when you when I thought about it, it kind of was like, well, why can't we just use the best of both, um, you know, to use that social driven purpose of a charity, but actually use the commercial models um, and rigor to deliver that. And so it just really made sense for us to be set up as a business. Um, it also meant that, you know, we could get investment, that we could scale quickly and um, there were certainly some disadvantages like you know around tax you know we don't get any tax benefits regardless of the fact that you know we're doing something great for the community but um that was a challenge in itself trying to explain to people that model because everyone was so used to you know if you're doing something good you're a charity and you shouldn't make any money or if you're a business then you're just about making profit so um trying to educate people on actually there is a blend of these two models and you can do well and do good at the same time that's probably been one of our biggest um earlier challenges mm. uh, your trial um,
0: trailblazers um at a time when it was like you say it wasn't very common um and you and you know you came under fire i you know saw the, i saw that i saw some of the criticism so, Similar to tom's shoes came under fire as well um yeah. how 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 did you deal with the criticism like person on a personal level? Did it, did it get you down or?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we use volunteers as well, you know, so we were like, let's again, take the best of both of these models and blend them. And, you know, people wanted to help and people wanted to give back their time. And so the volunteers helped with making the lunches for the kids. and um, but we also had paid staff that made the lunches for our paying customers. And, um, and then, you know, we went and got investment and, you know, we had foodstuffs come on board as a major investor and shareholder. And that kind of really started setting off people going, well, hang on. I thought you were like a charity because you've got volunteers, but now you've got an investor. And so you must be making tons of money. Um, so it's just, yeah, people were, confused um and didn't know really what to make of the model and the criticisms I think you know we received and for me on a personal level it was really hard um, you know being asked by the media things like well you know how much money do you make what's your salary you know do you live in a mansion do you go around driving nice cars um, because the reason Eat My Lunch came about was never about making money You know, if I really wanted to ensure my own personal financial security, (laughs) I would have never started Eat My Lunch. I would have just stayed in a high-paying corporate job. Um, But you know, it needs to run as a sustainable business. So um, yeah, that was really tough.
0: Yeah, because at the heart of the criticism is that you've got investors. So you you got some funding through crowdfunding, is that right? So you had, Mm -hmm. and you call them social bonds.
1: Yeah, we did that um, a couple of probably 2016. So we were the first ones, again, to um, issue social bonds where um, people, you know, effectively lent Eat My Lunch money and we paid it back with interest as well as paying back with um, the ability for them to give lunches to kids. And then um, in 2019, we also did an equity raise. So we have over 600 shareholders in the business um now again you know they don't have an expectation that eat my lunch is going to deliver massive returns for them um but we do have you know there is an expectation that we are financially sustainable Mm. um, and viable
0: yeah Yeah. and just heading back to the early stages um because you're you know, been a marketeer in a in the corporate world until then. I want to sort of learn more about your journey, but suddenly mm. you're sort of hype very high profile, you're in the media, or in that early point, you're you're going around trying to get traction for this. How how did that was that really tough? Did people kind of respond quickly or did it take was it quite a slog?
1: Do you know? Um I think because of the 15 years in corporate and understanding what it takes to make a business run we were able to set up really fast and kind of get most of what we needed in place and so you know from the night of coming up with the idea you know we launched Eat My Lunch seven months later so you know this wasn't something that you know took years to get to um so I think you know that was a real advantage having all of that corporate and commercial experience and so we knew how to negotiate with suppliers you know we knew um you know basically the things that we needed um how to deliver a customer experience um the marketing the branding you know a lot of things I think small new startups struggle with um and yeah we were able to use some of our networks to um drum up those initial customers and so you would go out to partners we'd worked with before and you know they became our first customers and trialed it with us so I think you know having that experience gave us a real advantage and but you know it all comes back to the idea um you know making people aware of it and delivering on what you say you're going to do and people I think New Zealand responded so well to the idea this You know, idea that they could buy a lunch and as they're sitting there and eating it knowing that they've funded a lunch for another kid in need Um, and I think you know that comes to the simplicity of the idea and the concept um, you know the delivery of it and the execution of the idea and so you know our we hit our three-year forecast in 12 weeks Um, yeah so the growth you know it was huge and not one we were expecting Um, and we've had to scale you know very quickly along the way Um, particularly you know those early days you know you're in your home kitchen you know Michael comes at four in the morning and we're standing there making sandwiches (laughs) and um, you know we'd always kind of thought look we'll give ourselves nine months in the house you know probably that's gonna it's gonna take a while to get things going Um, but yeah probably after three four months we knew we had to move out of my house and um, find, you know, a proper commercial kitchen and um, have a, a kind of proper commercial setup um, to keep Eat My Lunch going.
0: And those early days did it totally consume your life because you're a parent at that point, you had young kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. My kids were six and eight when we started Eat My Lunch. And yeah, it was, I think, you know, you, I'd never had my own business before and you just don't realize how all-consuming it is. Um, You know, you go to sleep talking about it, (laughs) you wake up, you know, you're dreaming about it, you wake up and that's the first thing you do. And, um, you know, so we'd be, you know, up at four in the morning, you know, making and then delivering lunches. And then, um, you know, I was also at those early stages, you're doing everything yourself, you know, so your customer services, you're doing purchasing, your, you know, logistics, everything. And then, you know, and then I'd spend the evenings preparing for the next day. And so I'd be up until 10, 11, doing all the prep of the food for the following day. Um, back, You know, go to bed up at four. So, yeah, it was pretty hard going. <laughs> and I'm not a morning person either. So that made it really difficult too. Um, but yeah, it just, even, you know, five years later, it still is all-consuming. Because it's like, um, you know, having a baby. It just kind of takes over your life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so team size at the moment, you've got um, three, Wellington, Auckland, also in Hamilton?
1: Uh, No, so we've got two kitchens in Auckland now um, and one in Wellington. And with the government um, program coming on, we hired about an extra hundred and 80 odd people at the start of this year so we've got a staff number of 239 so it's a pretty big team now um yeah (laughs) and we're making about 19,000 lunches a day
0: taking a look back at your history so you were born in Hong Kong is that right
1: Yeah, I was born in Hong Kong um, and we moved to New Zealand when I was about two years old.
0: So you don't have a memory of that, do you? Um, Parents, (laughs) why do you think your parents focus on New Zealand? Why why did that come about?
1: Um, So my mum is from Taiwan. Um, She met my dad in Hong Kong. They were worried that if we were boys, we would have to do um, compulsory military service in Hong Kong and Taiwan. So um, and they just wanted, you know, better opportunities for us. And um, yeah, and they had some family down here. And so they decided to move here to give us really, I think, a better life and better education.
0: And siblings at the time that came?
1: I've got two sisters. I'm number two. Um, And then we have a younger brother, he was born like, he's eight years younger, and he was born in New Zealand.
0: And you found yourself heading back overseas, so you went to school here and then headed overseas for university, is that right?
1: Uh, No, I did uni here, Um, but, you know, I've always just loved travelling and, um, you know, really fascinated with different cultures And so I always knew I wanted to work overseas and I wanted to work for a big multinational that meant I could, you know, work in lots of different countries. And so my first job um, out of uni was part of the graduate program for Fonterra. Um, And I got to go to the Philippines with them um, two years after I started. And so I lived in the Philippines for about three years. Um, working on some of the local milk brands there for them. And then after that, um, I went to the UK and worked for Unilever for a couple of years before coming home. So, yeah, it was, I'd always kind of had this dream of, you know, jet setting around the world, <laughs> climbing yeah. the corporate ladder. And then um, really, you know, having children brought me home. I just knew there was nowhere else I wanted to raise kids. Um And I kind of, my parents were entrepreneurs, you know, when we came to New Zealand, they were your typical, you know, entrepreneurs opened up a restaurant, even though neither of them were cooks or had even worked in that industry. Um, You know, they've had various numbers of different businesses as we were growing up. They've always encouraged us to have our own business. Um, And I always just saw that as too much hard work. And I was like, no, I'm never gonna run my own business. So um, it's taken me this long to start my own business. Mm. And yeah, I'd never want to go back to the corporate world.
0: Yeah. And where was that restaurant that your parents opened and, and what were they serving?
1: Uh, it was uh, it was a Chinese restaurant. So it was called the Hong Kong Seafood Restaurant and it was on the corner of Great South Road and Market Road in um, Ramiro. And, you know, I just remembered like, They would have the prime minister come and have lunch there or dinner and you know some of the all blacks and i think i remember david longy being there for dinner (laughs) dinner once so um you know they just kind of took a hand to anything you know and my mum was very much like you know she'd see opportunities and she'd be like oh we should do this and do that and you know try this so yeah they were very entrepreneurial um and just kind of always looking out for those opportunities. Mm.
0: And huge amounts of resilience, I imagine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's not easy um, coming to a foreign country, not really speaking the language, and um, and you know, bringing your kids up um, quite differently to how you would back home. And so, yeah, they call us bananas. Do they? Yeah, so we're like yellow on the outside and white on the inside.
0: <laughs> and, and, did, and did they have difficulty with the different culture that you were being brought up in? Like where, where where did that tension play out? Like what sort of issues would come up?
1: Oh, uh, um, You know, just different values. Um, you know, in the Chinese kind of close community, we were seen as a bit of the black sheep you know we're a bit defiant we want to go and do our own thing and um you know there were certainly expectations in Chinese families like my dad yeah I remember him saying to us when we were 15 and I can't remember if it was a joke or not but he said you know I'll disown you if you marry um a white person so (laughs) you know there was those kind of expectations um and even language You know, like I speak very basic Mandarin, um, but that communication was always difficult. Um, and yeah, I think just, but, you know, there were certain things they taught us like, you know, hard work, um, you know, helping others all the time. You know, my parents were barely home, um, and when they weren't working, you know, my mum was out helping, you know, new immigrants or they were delivering food to people, um, you know, so there was that sense of generosity for sure.
0: Mm. And what was it like growing up in New Zealand as an as an Asian yourself? Did, was it a positive thing?
1: Um, I wouldn't say it was particularly positive when I was young. So, you know, the local primary school we went to, my sisters and I were the only Asians in the school um and you know that's changed it's I sent my kids to the same primary school and you know it's just changed completely in terms of the demographics but you know we got teased a lot I mean I remember my sisters and I we were always wishing that we were blonde and blue-eyed just to fit in um and I don't think you know we didn't appreciate our differences then because um it just wasn't really accepted and now though you know I'm I really kind of appreciate that different perspective that my culture and you know my parents have bought um, into my life and i love the fact like my kids are half um they call themselves chiwis so they um, they get the best of both okay. worlds you know and i love the fact that um, they don't see other kids in terms of race or ethnicity so when you ask them about your friend uh, their friends it doesn't even come into the equation um it's not something they register and it's really nice to see that change
0: yeah absolutely and you love food don't you like
1: yeah <laughs> obviously
0: what you do um what what is your like go to favorite meal would walk across broken glass to get to
1: <laughs> oh look i love Asian food so you know at home we eat mostly Asian food um which is awesome and again I love that my kids get exposure to that so much you know just they will we probably 70 percent of our meals are Asian but yeah if there's like you know my last meal it would be I don't know a bowl of like noodles um or something like that (laughs) just really simple
0: my absolute favorite meal is um seafood latska and uh, yeah uh, but and auckland's a complete foodie town isn't it like it's there's just so much southeast asian food um but i would say the best bowl of seafood latska in the whole of or well, singapore laksa in the whole of the world is in london um and i and i do miss yeah. that um, <laughs> but yeah I'll, I'll share with you that with you beyond this but yeah we auckland is a real melting pot and when it comes to food we have, we have great Southeast Asian food. Um, so you, you're a bit of an inner city dweller, like you like.
1: Yeah, I love the city. I'm a real city girl because um, I just love everything that's happening. You know, I love going out to new restaurants. Um, yeah, I just love going new places. I love supermarket shopping. So, you know, I will drive <laughs> 20 minutes to go to my favorite supermarket or, you know, check out like a really good one. Um, like I love more Wilsons in Wellington it's like heaven whenever I go there so um, yeah I just food to me is so important I love cooking you know for friends and family and it's just I don't it's something for me that brings you know people together Um, and I love kind of making people happy with food
0: yeah absolutely and as we move towards wrapping up What would be your advice to other startup founders, whether that's in the social good focus or, or, you know, looking for profit? Um, And maybe before that, do you draw on mentors? Like, where do you get your inspiration from?
1: Um, Look, I think you know, I always advise, and I was just actually talking to someone, you know, about getting a really good group of advisors around you from the very beginning you we. you just don't know everything and you can't do everything yourself. And um, I think, you know, getting some key people in place who are there to support you, who really believe in you and what you're doing, um, but who bring the different skill sets is really important. Um, And, you know, you'll just lean on them and they'll be invaluable. So I think, um, you know, get a a good group of advisors, um, for me, you know, I, I love drawing inspiration from really random things. So, you know, like shoes. <laughs> and, um, and I just lo- love looking at different areas and different industries, different categories, um, and just getting lots of really fun ideas. And I think, you know, there, there aren't any really original ideas. And it's just about, you know, picking Bits from here and there and putting it together in a different way and I you know I often think that's kind of how Eat My Lunch came about. It wasn't like some radically new idea um, but it was just the way that you know we drew ideas from different places, different businesses and the way that we put them together that was different.
0: Are you, Were a marketeer for a long time, are you mm-hmm happiest as a leader in a leading position or do you love the marketing the most
1: um I love making shit happen so I love coming up with the idea like I love that creative side having you know in my head what I want it to look like and then getting the right people on board to make it happen um but yeah I love marketing and branding and communication I think it's so key um and, you know, I think, again, through Eat My Lunch, that we had this massive advantage that we were able to tell the stories um, in a way that consumers responded to it, um, you know, emotionally. And so that, that always gives me a bit of a buzz.
0: Wonderful. Well, massive thank you for carving out some time and sharing your story. Uh, and good luck for the future.
1: Thanks, Mark.
0: Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.